welcome to Sometimes in Shambles. I'm Melissa. I'm the host. And today I have a special guest, Jenna Chow. Me and Jenna went to school together at SUU. That's where we met. And then we kind of recently just reconnected. I think we have some of the same beliefs about things, specifically things in this episode, that we are excited to share and talk about. So before we start, I want to introduce Jenna and give her a chance to kind of tell us about herself. Thanks, Melissa. I'm so excited to be doing this podcast with you. So first and foremost, thank you. And I'm passionate mm-hmm. about this topic. So um, like you said, my name's Jenna. I was born and raised in Utah in a small country town. I went to school at SUU, as you mentioned, recruited for SUU for two years after graduation, and then moved out to Massachusetts in 2015, where I met my husband and got a dog, laid down some roots, and now I have an East Coast girl. Awesome. Well, I am excited to have you on and get into our topic today. Thank you. Um, So today we're going to be talking about the body positivity movement and mental health and how mental health really plays into your body and your physical appearance, I guess. So we'll be talking about our lowest depression pits and what it did to us and our bodies and how we dealt, are currently dealing with, and view all of that in the midst of this body positivity movement that is really in full force right now. Uh, mental health and physical health are both very important. And in my experience, they play off of each other. If my physical health isn't doing great, my mental health gets dragged down. If my mental health is horrible, my physical health plummets and gets dragged down. So um, we're just going to be talking about all of that. And then on top of that, we're going to be talking about specific points within the body positivity, or not necessarily in the movement, but things related to your body and um, loving the skin that you're in or um, maybe changing your bodies, things like that. And before we get down to the nitty gritty, I want to um, say a disclaimer. Body positivity is a very touchy subject and we want to be respectful to everyone and their personal beliefs and or opinions. However, we will be expressing our frustrations, own opinions, and own experiences on this topic. This means that we are neither right nor wrong. Everyone handles and does things in their own way. We may talk about eating habits, eating disorders, fitness habits or goals, weight, our outlook on our own bodies, and other related things that could be triggering. If you think any of those topics may be triggering to you or make you unhappy in any way, please proceed with caution or not at all. So now that we have that out of the way, I just want to get into it. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) so I've talked about, you know, my worst depression moments before, and I think I've also talked about my body and a little bit about my like backstory on that. But I do want to go a little more in depth and um, just go over that story again to kind of give perspective of my background, and then we will go into your background, Jenna. Sounds great. Um, so I do want to, like, before I proceed 
it's a touchy subject, so I want to make sure that I'm like covering all my bases. Um, I want to make it clear that how I view my own body and or weight is based purely on myself and not a reflection of how I view others or how I think other people should live their lives. Um, for people that know me and know what I look like, or really for anyone, I want to say that I recognize my thin privilege is what it's called, I guess. Um, But at the same time, I can still have my own body issues and struggle with my own things related to my body. Um, Of course. I I love that you say that because I think that this journey of body positivity is so personal. And Mm -hmm. I think that's important for everyone to, to realize what you just said there. Like it's clear that these are our own views and our own bodies. And that's really what it boils down to is what's best for us. So thanks for starting this conversation off in a safe space. Cause I also think that's really important is to know that when you are having these conversations, that safe space is, is necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So I'll get into my little story. Um, It was one of, I was in school for seven years, so it was one of the years of school and I was transitioning into beginning another two-year journey of school and continuing my education. And so most of my friends had graduated and I, I didn't have like a solid group of people. I just had like a friend here and a friend here that I would sometimes hang out with. And I moved into just a rundown studio apartment. And because of that, I actually mentioned this on my last episode that I released, um, where I live plays it, it, it weighs on me, I guess. Like if it's not a good environment for me, then I will suffer from it. And in this time, I don't really remember being depressed. Like I was in high school. Like it was a very slow, like creep up. Um, but I do remember the signs looking back on it now, like in the moment I didn't, but I ate out almost every single day. I ate cafe real like three or four times a week. I ate dairy queen two to three nights a week. Um, most weekends I never even left my apartment or would talk to anybody. And, um, it kind of got scary. Like, yeah, I remember I like shared my location with everybody because, I was so scared something was going to happen to me um, and no one was going to, yeah, no one was going to know about it. I, I remember there was a girl in one of my printmaking classes and she hadn't been showing up and we had class two times a week. So Tuesday, Thursday, and it took maybe four or five classes for us to actually start asking questions about her, like asking, has anyone talked to her? um, made sure she's okay. I mean, four to five classes, that's two and a half weeks of no one saying anything. Right. Yeah. It's a fear. Um, Yeah. So that really got me scared. And then, and then the depression thoughts started coming in as well, where it's like, oh, I don't have anybody that, that immediately, like I'm not anyone's priority or just like all those self doubts, I guess. And I think that's where, where the depression started that and, you know, where I lived in my, my environment, not having friends. Um, and then I started noticing the weight. 
I specifically remember it's like it was yesterday. I remember I was sitting in the bathtub, um, which I took a bath every single day. And sometimes I would be in the bath for like two hours um, because it was like the only thing that really made me feel good. I remember looking down at my legs that were pressed against the bottom of the tub. And I remember thinking like, wow, like that's a lot bigger than I remember. And I... I am not technically diagnosed with body dysmorphia, and I I want to be respectful to those who really are, um, but I believe that this was a moment, this was a moment that kind of triggered a little bit of that in me, and having that like subtle body dysmorphia views of myself. Um, then I remember, so I was very aware of my weight all of a sudden, and thinking like, wow, like I actually have gained weight. This part of my body's different. This part's different. I can see it in my face now and just kind of all of a sudden noticing it. And I remember joining a a month long trial of Weight Watchers. I bought all of these workout PDFs from Instagrammers. I was trying to work out with one of my friends and um, I would feel a lot of shame for eating out, going to Dairy Queen again. I was buying clothes that were really oversized um, because I wanted to hide my body and I was taking pictures all the time and comparing my body to the previous week and, um, just seeing if, if something is changing and nothing really was changing and it's because nothing was sticking. I wasn't being consistent and I didn't have like that support system behind me, um, that was strong enough to push me and help me through that. So the next summer, I moved to Salt Lake and moved in with one of my friends, and um, I don't know what happened, but I just decided to really push myself and make a difference. Like I, I think it was just how unhappy I was, and I was self-conscious. I was not, not used to my body being that way. You know, I in high school did sports. I was always like quote unquote thin, and. It was just so unfamiliar, like it wasn't me and that was really playing a toll on my depression and my anxiety of like, I don't know, I, it just wasn't a good place for me. So I decided to make a commitment and an effort and basically how it started was I told myself that I'm going to try counting calories and working out every day for a week and see if there's any progress and if there is then I'm going to keep going and keep doing this and that's going to motivate me. So I lost two pounds in the first week and that, you know, that was it. That motivated, that motivation like clicked in me and I just kept going and I lost about two pounds every week and I lost about 17 pounds that summer. And I feel like I was in such a better place. And this is not to say um, I think I, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, Later, but I know me talking about this can be triggering because it sounds like I'm saying the only way to be happy is to be X amount weight right. or to be thin or to lose weight or whatever. Um, but that's, again, this is my personal experiences and this is what worked for me. And um, for me, I wasn't changing because I wanted to be the skinny Instagrammers. I was changing because I needed to get out of my depression rut and I knew that my weight was really affecting me. And so if I changed that and I I 
I don't know. I don't know how to say it without like thinking I'm going to offend someone. Um, it's okay but- though. Yeah, it's fine. Again, this is your journey. And you even talked about, you know, the fact that you could have possibly had body dysmorphia and those two correlate. It's a, that's a real part of depression. And I, when you said like, man, my, my previous self was thin athletic, like I hear you on that. And when that is such a big part of your prior life, then it's really, really hard to let that go. So give yourself some grace because that's real. That's a real part of depression is that feeling of like your, your, um, you know, how important you are is attached to how much you weigh and Mm -hmm. it's, it takes a lot of work to let that go. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. And I, I really don't know how to say, say exactly what I mean in a healthy way, I guess. Like for me, losing the weight got me in a better mindset and better feeling, you know? Um, and after that summer, I went back to school and, you know, I was, I stopped counting calories because I mean, when you're in school, it's like impossible to really like meal prep and I don't know. You don't, your schedule is really all over the place in school. So I stopped counting the calories and logging the food, but I was still conscious of what I was eating. I opted for lower calorie ice cream. I started avoiding red meat. I cut back on cheese. Um, Just the things that made my body feel better. And I just, I knew that those things were going to make me feel better. And I was going to the gym very regularly. It was like, it was my my release. If I was really stressed out at school, I knew I needed to go to the gym for even just 30 minutes. And um, it was a really good it, like time for me. I don't know, just like looking back on that year, um, it was like, I don't know. It just had a different feeling than the year before, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then of course, you know, it was my senior year and I was spending so much time on campus and my gym time suffered from that. And like around this time is when I kind of started noticing my anxiety a lot more. And I don't know if that like, if it played a role in it, you know, like if me not going to the gym and like kind of cutting back on that affected my mental health that much, you know? I mean, there's no science behind it. There's no proof of <laughs> if that's correlated yeah. or anything. Um, I mean, like, I mentally, you had correlated those things, you know? Like, you're right. like, oh, I'm going to the gym. I'm so much happier. And so even, you know, even if there's not, like, a legitimate science behind, you know, exactly what was happening within you at that moment – Um, our brains are really powerful. So Mm -hmm. if your brain is like, oh, you stopped working out, that's a, you know, that's a bad thing, then that can cause your anxiety to rise. And, um, you know, it's, it's a battle every day (laughs) for me, Mm -hmm. at least that specifically, because it's like, oh, I didn't work out today, man, today's going to be a rough day, you know? Right. Yeah. That, I think that is a good point. Like we kind of just get in that routine and then, I mean, whatever it is, honestly, in your life, you get in a routine and then you feel guilty for stepping out of that routine. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yeah, it's like you said, our minds are very powerful. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I guess that's like my my main story of, you know, where my depression was really low and then I gained weight and kind of got myself out of it. Um, but I do want to note again that working out didn't cure my depression. And also that's not the only thing that I, I was doing at that time. Um, I had moved to Salt Lake for the summer. I was hanging out with friends more. I got back on my medication. I like, I don't know. I'm a big advocate on it's a tool in your toolbox. Working out right. for me, it was a tool. Hanging out with friends and socializing is a tool. Um, just all of those things play into each other. So I'm definitely not saying like, oh, if you're depressed, work out. Because I think we all know that that pisses people off. <laughs> like <Right. laughs> everyone thinks that working out's going to cure it. And it it's not. Like it's just something to get you started or help you and it doesn't help everyone you know it's yeah it's definitely person to person yeah I do think I I've been thinking about this a lot lately I do think that movement is medicine I talk about this a lot with my sister and you know sometimes movement is not 30 minutes of hit cardio or you know mm -hmm. sweating like crazy sometimes movement is going outside and walking up and down your street once, you know, mm -hmm. and some days that's, that's what has to happen. But moving your body, whether that's a quick short walk or whether that's an intense workout, I do think that, um, it is medicine, you know, whether that's like mm -hmm. the oxygen that's getting into your brain, the endorphins that are kicking off. If you're outside, you know, that adds a whole nother level of, um, health to your mental stability. So I definitely think yeah. that movement is medicine, but I love what you said about like, you had a, you had a lot of other tools going on, you know, that you were using to get healthy and that's important. Yeah. Um, so basically that is, um, my story for that time of my life. And I think a little bit later we'll be talking about, um, kind of currently my views and where I'm at. But right now I want to hear your story and about your mental health journey and how it has affected you. Thanks. This is exciting for my depression debut. <laughs> this is kind of like <laughs> the first time I fully talked about my depression, I've shared a lot on my Instagram and sometimes on Twitter. Um, and my family and close friends are all very involved um, in my health journey, but it's exciting to talk about it here. My depression started looking back in, in about 2014. I had just finished college a year before. I had backpacked across Europe for a month, which was incredible. I was working for SUU, which was an awesome job, and I was living with my best friends. So I was living a really great life. And looking back at that time, I have a lot of really great memories and fond moments. But I also recognize that those moments in that year, I fell into a deep faith crisis. And mm. it was painful and it was lonely 
And to exacerbate those feelings, I moved away from everyone and everything I knew and moved to Massachusetts. And at the time, I probably sounded crazy, you know, to the people around me because I never intended on staying in Massachusetts, but I literally just picked up my life in Utah. My mom drove me across the country. She dropped me off. I found a place to stay when I got here. Um, and I've never left. So in the end, it was a great decision and move for me. But at the time it was probably one of the worst things that I could have done for my depression because I left my Mm -hmm. support system. I do have a sister out here, which is, which was really helpful, but, um, I I would not recommend to uproot your life when you are in the midst of depression, especially if it's Mm -hmm. new. I mean, some people live with depression their whole lives and they cope and they have to keep moving forward and keep having adventures and keep living life. But this was new to me and it was probably not the best decision. But um, yeah, I moved away from all my family and friends. My loneliness just enhanced. My faith crisis got worse. Um, I also got a job and worked from home. And so I didn't Mm. have interaction with a lot of people. I still to this day, like my friends or my husband's friends, I haven't really made any friends of my own because I never had any of these opportunities to meet people. And with depression, I did not put myself out there and at all in, you know, any Right. Unless I was, you know, dragged to a family event, which in this case was my husband's family or, you know, I was my sister. So it was, it was a really lonely time. And I started to develop self-sabotaging habits, which resulted in a lot of years of painful personal struggle. So I developed bad anxiety and had severe anxiety attacks. I remember one day I was out walking my dog for him to go to the bathroom and I I don't even know what triggered it because I I blacked out and my mm. I had a, a panic attack that was so intense that I for just a you know just a second I like blacked out and I fell and hit my head on the curb. And luckily my husband was outside with me. He was like in his car while I was, you know, picking up the dog's poop or something. Good thing I didn't land Mm -hmm. in his poop. That would have been awful. But (laughs) I mean, it's pretty awful, but you know what I mean? And and that was, that was a low point for me because my Valentino, he, who's my husband, he said to me, he's looked me in the eyes after we got inside and he made sure I was okay. And he said, you need to get help. And, you know, that was a moment, kind of an eye opener that I was like, okay, I cannot keep living like this because I'm, I'm not going to be able to survive. So that was um, a pretty low point. And during all of this, I had also started to binge eat heavily And I would do it when I was sad, when I was anxious, angry, anything that wasn't a positive emotion, I would result in eating a lot of food. It was comforting and when I truly did not know how to comfort myself because I didn't know how to cope with all of these negative Mm -hmm. feelings. And it it did develop into an eating disorder. Um, 
I would eat a large amount of food in one setting or throughout an entire day, basically, when I was alone. Because remember, I, I worked from home and right. I had access to, like, I was by myself, plus I had access to everything that was in the house. And I would eat all day while my husband was at work. And if I ate something, this is this is really embarrassing to admit, but it was my reality at the time. And I want to talk about it because it's unhealthy, but I would eat something. And if I was supposed to share it with my husband or if it was his, like let's say he had ice cream in the freezer and I ate his Americone Dream Ben and Jerry's, I would go <laughs> to the store, buy a new pint and eat where he left off and put it back in the freezer. So it didn't look wow. like they had any. Yeah. And thinking about that now, it's so heavy. Like it's so heavy. Right. That was my mindset. Like I couldn't just say, hey, babe, I'm sorry I ate your ice cream. I had to go to the store, buy a new one, and then eat where he had left off. And mm-hmm. I remember doing this often. And then when he came home, I wouldn't eat anything. I'd be like, oh, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat. And so I would starve myself the rest of the day because I'd been, you know, binge date for 10 hours of the day while he was gone. And and just like feeling guilty about it, you know, and then, then needing to do something about that, which is not eating. And, you know, you did say you're embarrassed about this. Um, but like I said, like you said, um, it's your story and it's something that happened to you and it's something that happens to a lot of people. And I think it is important to talk about it. So, you know, the whole point of my podcast is to let people know that they're not alone. So I'm sure there are other people that, that have done this before and felt embarrassed about it and felt guilty for it or, um, any like, you know, and yeah, now they're, hearing they're hearing you talk about it and and normalize it and not saying that it's healthy but just you know this is part of it this is part of your mental illness and it it does this to you it it makes you think this way think that you can't tell anybody um so you have to go to the store um yeah it's just part of it can I ask like just for I don't know because I, I've said that I binge eat in the past as well. Um, but I'm just curious if like our binge eating kind of looks different or the same. So, like when you say large amounts of food, do you just keep eating constantly through the day, or like is it just like three pints of ice cream at ten in the morning and then like a pizza at noon? Like I don't know. Is yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So my this is kind of what my daily habits looked like when I was in like the worst part of my binge eating mm-hmm. is my husband would leave the house around six o'clock for work. And when he left, I would immediately have something sweet. So whether that was like like Oreos in the cupboard or whether that was ice cream in the fridge, I remember one time we had a cake and I would just like pull the cake out and take a fork and just eat out of like the serving, <laughs> like the cake mm-hmm. tray, you know, like I wouldn't yeah. even get a plate. I would just eat out of that. And, um, and then I was like, I would, I would sit there and be like, why am I doing this? It's morning. Like no one eats 
like a, a full serving, three servings of dessert in the morning. Like I was eating right. so much. And then yeah. I, I would eat like a full pizza to myself in one sitting. I would eat like a whole bag of chips and mm -hmm. it just felt constant. Like, I don't know if mm -hmm. I can tell you exactly when I was binging throughout the day. All I can say is it felt like I was always eating mm -hmm. and not just like snacking on food. Cause I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being like, Oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to have an apple and like snacking on healthy food throughout your yeah. day. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I was constantly eating a very large amount of food all the time. Yeah. And, and I was hiding it. I think that's the part where like mentally was very unhealthy. Like right. binging is physically unhealthy, but like mentally I was hiding it. I was like, I was taking pizza boxes out to the dumpster before my husband got home. Like I told you, I was buying food that I had already right. made to replace yeah. it. And that's, that's what my binge eating looked like. It was coupled with a lot of mental shame. Yeah. Um, and then just like another question, I'm curious about this and then I'm sorry, we can move on from this. No, but, no, ask as um, many questions. <laughs> um, so with Valentino, you know, later when, you know, all of this kind of came out and you recognize that that was binge eating after the fact, did have did you ever have a conversation with him where it's like, you know, did he know that it was going on and like kind of just went along with what you were doing to try to help you or like did he really he had no idea and like didn't notice your your eating habits at all? Yeah, he didn't he didn't know. Wow. <laughs> he didn't know. I was I was really really good at mm -hmm. um being strategic about it. And I think when, when I decided that enough was enough with specifically with binge eating, um, I don't think I ever was like, okay, babe, I need to tell you something. Like it was more of an internal like choice and battle. And looking mm -hmm. back, I, I really wish I would have been honest about it in that space. Like we, we've talked about it now, like in a, when I'm yeah. in a better mental health space, but really wish that I would have opened up because I think that you'll be really surprised when you open up about your struggles and your shortcomings that people are way more in tune to give you grace than you think, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I remember telling my mom about this and tell, I, again, I wasn't as specific, like I didn't tell her at how bad it actually really was. But I was like, mom, mm -hmm. I'm binge eating. I'm eating all day. And then when Valentino gets home, I'm not eating anything. And I remember her sharing with me a story that was very similar to what I was doing with Valentino's ice cream. I know this is like the, the example I keep going back to, but it's mm -hmm. just very visual. Like everyone right. knows yeah. what a, like a pint of Ben and Jerry's is. Right. And they, you know, like you could see yourself downing one, but the, the habit, you know, and she told me like, something that was personal in her life that, you know, she, she had once been in a space where that was also her reality. And mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, it was like this light bulb that was like, I don't have to do this alone. Like it was this big, yeah. like click in my head that was like, this is me being sick. Like mm -hmm. I, I have a mental illness and it just as much as if I would have broken my bone, I need to get help with this. And that's yeah. my mom kind of put that into perspective 
with me and said, Jenna, listen, if you want things to change, like you need to get help. And Mm -hmm. so that's when my mom told me that (laughs) I needed to go see a therapist. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I had two different times kind of in like the, the depths and the deep parts of my depression where, um, you know, my loved ones were honest with me and said, looked me in the eye and said, you know, let's, let's do something about this. And I'm really grateful because I know that not everyone has those moments when they're trying to heal their, you know, mental health. So yeah, I was very grateful for that. And, and, you know, with all that binge eating, I gained over a hundred pounds in three years. And for, for the first, like two to three years of my depression, I would see gradual weight gain, but a hundred pounds in three years is a lot of weight. And Mm -hmm. every single time I, you know, went 20 pounds up on the scale, I would go deeper into self-sabotage. My binge eating would get worse. My isolation Mm -hmm. would get worse. My self-sabotage would get worse. I like constantly thought about easy ways to get out of my situation. And, and it was never like, I was, it was always just like, it would be just so much easier for this to be over. Mm-hmm. And that's heavy and that's deep. It is. And yeah. um, it was all, it was all based around my weight and food and it was, yeah. it was a dark place. <laughs> yeah. And I think this kind of, um, this is an example of what I was talking about earlier, how it's, it's all related. Your body and your mm-hmm. mind are completely related and play off of each other. You know, you, gained 20 pounds, went into a deeper depression, that depression had you binge eating and having other thoughts. And then that led to, you know, gaining more weight. And then like, it's just, it keeps going and it's a vicious cycle. Um, And it's, you know, it's very impressive and takes a lot of strength to, to realize that and to want to get help and like take the actions that you've taken. Oh, thank you for saying that. It it really has been like such a battle. But I again, I want to say that like I have not done this on my own. And in the like in the darkest parts of my depression, I couldn't have. Like there right. was no yeah. way. There was no way that I could have myself pulled me up and said, "All right, let's move forward." So, because I I had stopped going to health professionals. I had stopped seeing a doctor. I didn't go to a dentist for six years. And like, I would just, if I got a cavity, like, because I hate the dentist, (laughs) deep breath. (laughs) (laughs) I have always hated going because I hate mouth pain. And so even just the tiniest, like, um, uncomfortability with my mouth, I'd be like, I don't want to do it. And so couple that with like this insane shame I was feeling and so I stopped going to the doctor. I stopped going to the dentist. I just stopped taking care of myself and I never got ready. I had a job at home. So why get ready? You know, mm-hmm. I, yeah. there were some weeks where I would stay in the same clothes for three to four days. And yeah. again, <laughs> I like, don't think I could say this out loud a few months ago because it's, it feels so shameful. It feels so shameful Mm -hmm. to say that, but I also recognize in this space of my life that I was sick and that's not something that a normal person does, you know, is 
stay in bed for days on a time and not change clothes and not shower and not take care of themselves. And so I was was sick. But at the same time, like, I mean, I really don't like using the word normal because normal is different for everybody, but it's not, it might not be quote unquote normal for, or yeah, normal for a normal everyday person, (laughs) but it is normal for a sick person, you know, like, yeah, I love that. Yeah. It is, it's, it is normal for someone with mental illness. Um, and I don't know, those are, those are just the signs. And, um, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't, I don't know. I don't like using the word normalize really either, but just educating people, like this is what, what it looks like. This is what it is. Um, and people go through this and yeah. I don't know. And you can get help and you can get better. Yeah. I'm so glad that you made that point of like this, you know, normal is not, (laughs) is not an all encompassing term. And I I feel like I take that for granted sometimes when I don't give myself grace, I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, my depression has caused me to do X, Y, and Z. Like I wish I was Mm -hmm. just normal. And that's, I love that you say it, you know, it looks different for everyone, but at the same time when you're mentally ill, it's, that is what your day-to-day looks like. So, yeah. yeah. So that, that was like the, the painful parts of my depression where, um, you know, my mental illness was at its worst and I've never really wanted to share up until now, but so prior, I never wanted to share these details of my life because most people in my life have known the happy, extrovert, outgoing, healthy, athletic Jenna. And I didn't want them to see me as I am now because I was ashamed of who I was. I didn't like who I was. And I, I just kept telling myself, like, if I can hide who I am from other people, maybe they won't know that I was once here. And I think that's toxic. I think it's toxic to, share a reality with people that's not real. It's toxic for like society in general, but personally it was, it was just, it wasn't doing me any favor to pretend Mm -hmm. that I was living a life that was not my reality. And so once I started to do some internal healing and do a lot of hard work um, behind the scenes slowly I started to like peel off these layers of shame and like get rid of them. And that's when I realized that like, I have a story to tell and my journey is, is not something that I should put under a rock. Like I shouldn't bury this. I should share it because like you said, a lot of people are experiencing these symptoms of mental health and think that, you know, they have to do it alone and they don't have to, they don't have to. Exactly. And that coupled, I mean, that realization comes with therapy. (laughs) It comes (laughs) with like a lot of support and help. It comes with taking care of my body physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Mm So I, when you talked about earlier, like the tools in your toolbox, mm-hmm. there there are a lot of tools that we need to get to a, a place of, of health. 
Yeah. So definitely. That's, that's kind of my story. That's how I am here today talking about my journey and, you know, wanting to get healthy. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode. Unfortunately, I could not put them, the two parts together into one. So go ahead and listen to the second part that should be up right now. It is a really, really good episode. Both of these are. And in the second part, we talk a lot more about body positivity and all the things that are related to that specific topic. And we go into a lot of depth in a lot of different areas regarding body positivity. So go ahead and listen to that. And thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Sometimes in Shambles. The intro music was done by my friend Lucas Kathy, and the artwork was done by me, myself, Melissa. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.